Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. We are excited for y'all to join us today for another great episode. We are in Season 3, Episode 14. I'm Ben Patterson, joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, good morning, Ben. How are you doing? Doing real good. Coming off the heels of a uh, busy Easter weekend, for yes, sure. So. Yes, Coming off of a spring break as yeah, well. I know you were right. traveling for that. Yeah. How's, how'd that go for you? Uh, it was fun. We, uh, we kind of did a, a tour of... Uh, the state of Florida a little bit, got to ride some waves on the East Coast, uh, go through the Everglades in the center of the state, which was really neat. Oh, cool. Saw just tons of alligators, um, you know, which, which is kind of fun, you know, to see them from a distance. Um, and then got to come up on the West Coast and do some fishing with some of our really good friends there. And man, we, we brought home bags and bags of fish. In fact, I spent uh, much of Sunday afternoon, my Easter Sunday afternoon was spent um, vacuum sealing fish which which was a great way for me to spend <laughs> yeah I, I, I love that i mean what else would i rather be doing than great vacuum way sealing to spend fish yeah and we actually for easter dinner had uh, had a fish dinner so that was that was great and we yeah, we, we caught a uh a tampa bay rays game as well which my uh you know my whole family we're we're all big rays fans having spent uh years down there in fact wearing my rays hat today uh in honor of uh what is at the time of this recording uh, the only undefeated team in Major League Baseball at nine and zero, and so having there you uh, go. having a really great uh, great season. So that's awesome. it was it was just that's a lot awesome. of fun, um, a lot of stuff that uh, we all were able to kind of get into and enjoy as a family together, which is really neat. Yeah. Instead of you know just the time, some yeah, and not not necessarily the fishing and offshore piece. Lori and Hannah don't get into that, but <laughs> but the boys and I do. Although I have to confess, um, I spent Thursday on the boat. Uh, it, it was pretty rough and choppy, and it was a humbling experience because I was the only one out of four of us on the boat to get seasick, and man, was I seasick, <laughs> uh, you know, just, ugh, you know, but yeah. it, was, it was still a good day, still a good day, lots of great memories. That's awesome. I How about that. you? Love that, man. It was a good week. I did not have spring break, but yes. it, was, uh, it was kind of lighter week around here, and Enjoyed some good weather over the week yeah. before it got all nasty yes. over the weekend. <laughs> but no, it was good. And just yes. Holy Week is a great week of, uh, of just contemplation. I celebrated Passover with my small group yeah. and um, just kind of reflecting on the significance of that week mm. um, was, was really good. Really good. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of good things happening around here at Grace Chapel. So excited mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so thankful uh, to Deborah Stevens for having written yes. those devotional yeah. series. Had so many people talk about how those devotionals, especially through the week that we were sending them out by email, um, how those really left a, an imprint upon them and, and really helped set the week for the tone for uh, a great Sunday yesterday and just you know, just really seemed yesterday, obviously a great crowd on Easter Sunday, which is which is always the case, uh, even though we still had many people traveling on the backside of spring mm-hmm. break. Um, there just was a, a really sweet spirit in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the room yesterday as we worshiped, celebrated, um, you know, the resurrected Lord of, of all creation. And, and you know, I think um, a lot of understanding that um, what we were doing here was really is really truly a significant thing, yeah. and so yeah. for me that was that was exciting. I mean, I love being a part of that, and um, you know, not just talking about the energy in the room or something along those lines. I mean, it, really more in the sense of you know a, a deep heartfelt expression that was sensed in our times of worship and also 
the connection with the message and other things and people talking about you know the meaning of the resurrection um, and that the fact that it is, you know, I posted on Facebook yesterday after some conversations I had with people here about the resurrection being the ultimate game changer. <laughs> you know, hope, life, all those things that, that we want most um, because we were designed and created for those things. You know, uh, that, that the resurrection is kind of that uh, uh, the thing that lets us know that, that those are right and good desires. <laughs> so. <laughs> So yeah, awesome. just good, very, very good for sure. Yeah, and message-wise, <laughs> that kind of wrapped up the end of like a little two weeks of kind of one-off messages, yeah. loosely connected right. in theme um, with being Palm Sunday, where mm-hmm. I was able to speak and yep. um, spoke, you know, kind of going into story of Palm Sunday and looking at the misunderstanding of Jesus' identity yeah. of so many people just not understanding who he was really coming yes. to be within the first century in his followers, but then also seeing how we do the same thing. And we right. have this, also this tendency to misunderstand yeah, who sure Jesus do. is. Then you kind of took it this week, right? And then talked about who he actually is, who Jesus' yes. identity is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, if you could say there was a, a connection, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we intended to have kind of a loose connection between these two messages and, and the more time I spent, especially as I got to listen to yours um, through the week last week uh, as we were traveling, um, you know, the connection that I thought at first would be loose became actually more solid through mm-hmm. the whole thing. Is that, you know, we're talking about the identity of Jesus, asking that question, who is Jesus? Um, and so I, I think that's a big question. You know, as you pointed out um, on Palm Sunday, and, and we talked about a little bit in last week's podcast as well, it, it, it's there's this human tendency that, that goes back to the days when Jesus walked the earth to, um, to misidentify and mislabel Jesus because we have hopes and wants for him. We want him to be a certain thing. Yeah, yeah. And so we want our hopes and wants and our desires, um, maybe what we think ought to be most important in, in life. We want him to say, yes, that's, what, that's what's most important in life. And mm-hmm. you know, as, as I was thinking about that, even last week, kind of... Uh, Kind of, you know, in my own mind, debriefing out of out of uh, some of what you'd shared. You know, I was thinking, really, I mean, that that's been, you know, Jesus, who is in the very nature of God, as we'll talk about as we go through this passage that we looked at this week. Some, um, it should not be surprising that we do to Jesus what we've been doing to God since the time of the fall, basically. Which, you know, God created us in our own image, and then we have returned the favor since, mm-hmm. trying to create you know, um, God in our image. So we were created in God's image. Now we're turning around and creating God in our image. Um, and, and, and that's just, uh, you know, that, that's been part of, part of the problem and struggle is, you know, really when it comes down to it, what we see at, at heart in those questions about mislabeling, misidentifying Jesus is this struggle, I think, within ourselves about what we want life to be all about mm-hmm. instead of saying, no, we want to find out, God, what you as our designer and creator say life is all about. So I think that's why we reinvent God, you know, yeah, or why yeah. for, for years people had, you know, graven images and still do today, you know, but uh, it's what the Apostle Paul talks about in, in uh, you know, in Romans 1, basically saying, you know, that we exchanged worship of the creator for worship of created things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so we were making God, you know, we're trying to give God an image 
you know, that we're carving things out of wood and stone and maybe even metal at times and saying, here's our God now. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the God that we'd created instead of worshiping the God that created us. And so I think really in the end, when you tie these two weeks together, um, that's what's behind the question of identity or mislabeling um, the, the identity of Jesus, misunderstanding mm -hmm. the identity of Jesus is our, our continual struggle to want to have life our way. And so, you know, when you, when you, when you wonder about, you know, why were there so, why have there been so many gods? You know, if you look at, you know, Hinduism, I, I mean, the number of gods is in the millions, if I remember correctly. You know, in, in the Roman panoply of gods, it was, you know, hundreds of gods, and they'd created all these different gods, you know, gods of fertility, gods of wealth, gods of war, all these things that really manifested more like our fleshly impulses and desires then manifested our, our being created in the image of God as human beings. And so that, that struggle goes on today, you know, with political Jesus and, you know. That's interesting. Uh, how we don't all, all those other things that you, you directly uh, deify those in that way, in the same way as like in, um, in Hinduism or something, we don't say there's multiple gods, right. but we make multiple versions of, of God right. yeah. in our own kind of, in our own image of it, because it's softer, it's easier yeah. to follow. All, all that, all that. You know, we, we still engage in large-scale idolatry today yeah. in the North American society, even though we would consider ourselves in many ways a, a secular people, mm -hmm. you know, many people would anyway. Uh, we still engage in idolatry. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the idols um, just aren't maybe sometimes as obvious, but they're mm -hmm. no less. Mm -hmm. um, they have no less of an impact upon the people we are. Yeah. So, and I think the same impul impulse is there that was there thousands of years ago. So, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of a short, um, so, you know, quick summary of where we've been these two weeks, looking at the idea of identity, especially as it relates to Jesus, and then we can talk about implications of that as mm -hmm. we go, too. Yeah, so with that in mind, what was the focus of yesterday's message? Yeah, I mean, so, um, so we're in Philippians chapter 2, which, um, which I think is one of the, the best passages when you want to really get to the heart of Jesus' identity. So it talks about who Jesus was in eternity past, who Jesus was as he walked this earth, and then who Jesus is now in eternity forward, in a sense, you know? And so we get this full kind of picture in this, just this short passage in Philippians chapter two uh, that really nails the identity of Jesus um, through the eyes of the apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, what's, what's interesting about this passage, uh, Philippians two, five through 11, I think it is, um, is that this particular passage, uh, if you're reading it in your Bible, you'll see that a certain portion of the text is offset as though it were poetry or a mm -hmm, song. Mm -hmm. and, and there's speculation. We don't know, was this something that the Apostle Paul wrote? It's very different in style from the rest of the Philippian letter. Although, you know, if I were writing, um, you know, an article and then I wrote a piece of poetry within that article and then I got back to the body of the article, the poetry would obviously look different, even if I was the one that had mm -hmm. written it, because mm -hmm. I would have changed and shifted style. So we don't know. Did Paul write that? Was that something that was already in circulation? I mean, we speculate that with the, the 1 Corinthians 15, uh, some, some of what's in there as well. And so, you know, th there were these songs, or perhaps, you know, even though we sometimes get a little 
you know, we get our feathers up at the, the, the word creed, you know, but there were these songs and these repeated, sometimes creedal statements that summarized deep and uh, I think deep theological beliefs about who Jesus was or about Christian doctrine. Those things were in circulation in the first century at the time of the Apostle Paul. And so some speculate that this section is one of those. So maybe it's original to Paul. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a song that someone had already written that the churches were singing or a poem that was repeated or, you know, easily memorizable. Um, you know, within Jewish culture, um, a fairly high percentage of the population was literate in the first century much higher than the surrounding areas often. So, you know, it's not as if we sometimes think that in first century, well, everybody was illiterate except for the, the first, you know, except for maybe the, the highest people in society. Um, and that's not necessarily the case, but there were enough people who were illiterate that having a section of text that was very easily memorizable was important. So either the Apostle Paul wrote this so that people would remember it because there was something thick and real and and deep to this text that they needed to remember, or it was something that was in circulation that was quick and easy for the Apostle Paul to recall because, again, it was so memorable in the way it's written. And so, um, you know, so this section, again, really gets to the heart of Jesus' identity. And it started kind of off the message on Sunday, reconnecting with your idea that many people do mislabel Jesus. It's almost like if there's this cloud, this fog, um, over his identity and over who he really was, again, as, for all the reasons that we've already talked about. Um, and, and I don't think that's a new problem. It, wasn't, it was a problem on Palm Sunday, you know, that first Palm Sunday. They misidentified and mislabeled him. And I think it was a problem for the early church too, which I think is why the Apostle Paul is addressing the identity of Jesus here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But this isn't the only thing that the Apostle Paul was doing in that section of text. In fact, he starts it off with these words, he begins with these words in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so I actually asked this question, you know, this passage right here, is this a passage about the identity of Jesus or is it a passage about how we, and then especially people in the church, should treat each other? And the answer to that question is yes, yes to both. Mm -hmm. It is a passage about the identity of Jesus and it is a passage about how we ought to treat each other in light of the identity of Jesus. And we can talk about that um, some more as, as we go too, but but really, I kind of that's that's what the what is at the heart of this message, or what was at the heart of this message for for Easter Sunday, is understanding clearly who Jesus was, who Jesus is, um, seeing what he was willing to do on our behalf, which is right at the heart of what it means to to you know uh, to understand. I think fully what the crucifixion was about what the resurrection was about, and what now the enthronement of Jesus is about as well. You know, we often, I think, during Easter week, um, we think about two of those elements, but not necessarily the last. We think about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Awesome. We ought to be thinking about those. They were amazing. What Jesus did on the cross for us by becoming this sacrifice, um, you know, and uh, I mean, there's so much controversy in the Christian world about, you know, what happened on the cross? Was it, was it you know, just the atonement in a sense? Was there a lot more that happened? And, and certainly we've talked about this before, about <laughs> atonement theory. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go back and find that in previous podcasts. Um, I think to say that Jesus only, you know, was only victorious or only, 
you know, was, you know, was that became our penal substitution or, you know, again, we don't have to rehash all that. It's all of that. It's all of those things that Jesus did for us on the cross. The resurrection, then now giving us the hope. The Apostle Paul saying, you know, if there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're to be pitied above all people even. You know, it's like we're, we're fools if we're doing what we do if there is no resurrection. So Paul says everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but then in this passage, Paul goes way beyond talking about only the crucifixion, although he talks about the crucifixion and Jesus' willingness to become obedient to God, even to the point of death on a cross, which there's for the Jews in Paul's audience, that would have been significant because anyone who hung on a tree was cursed. I mean, that's Old Testament, you know, an Old Testament curse. Um, Paul certainly, I think, is thinking about the resurrection as well in this passage, but he goes beyond the resurrection, beyond the crucifixion, to talking as well about the enthronement of Jesus, who now sits at the right hand of God. And so all of these elements are central to the identity of Jesus. Um, you know, Paul beginning by saying, you know, Jesus was very God, basically, you know, and being in the very nature of God. As one of the early creeds talks about very God of very God. I think that's the Apostles' mm -hmm. Creed. Um, that comes directly from Philippians 2.6 when Paul says about Jesus' identity. He was in the very nature of God, even though he was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage and instead made himself nothing, the Apostle Paul says. I mean, he, he took on the identity, the very nature of a servant. So we have this contrast in this passage, very nature God, very nature servant. Yeah. His given identity, in a sense, who he was, really is very nature God. What he chose was very nature servant by being made in human likeness, mm -hmm. right? And, and then mm -hmm. also by becoming a servant on our behalf through the act of humbling himself and becoming obedient to God for our sakes mm -hmm. and being obedient to, to death, right? Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, says the Apostle Paul. And then out of that is this next movement. So he's talking about here who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what God has, in a sense, restored to him. Although certainly, while he walked the face of this earth, although we have a really hard time getting our minds around it, Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. Right, it's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. has the, the conversation in Mere Christianity about, you know, the claims that Jesus made about himself as, as a human being, being fully God, make him either a liar, lunatic, lunatic or Lord. Or Lord yeah. You know, he says, but but don't go, you know, banning about. I think he says he uses those words, banning about this nonsense about Jesus being a good teacher. He yeah. wasn't just a good teacher. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord because he made those claims about himself, and so. Uh, and then the Apostle Paul here very early, I think, I, I want to say the writing, the range of dates for Philippians is somewhere like 62 to 64, 5, somewhere in that ballpark. So very early, the Apostle Paul is here saying, Jesus, very nature God. You know, so these claims that some like to make about, you know, uh, the, the deity of Jesus or the deification of Jesus, some will call that. <laughs> Um, being kind of something that got added on in later centuries is absolute nonsense. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre that people would claim that being supposed New Testament scholars, like even Bart Ehrman, who mm -hmm. makes that claim, um, who is brilliant, but 
very misguided on this point about Jesus' identity. Yeah. Very early on, Jesus was claimed to be in the very nature of God. And so mm -hmm. um, took on human flesh, then the kind of the conclusion of this, you know, God exalting Jesus to the highest place. Um, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Basically, everything in all creation will bow to Jesus. You know, he has dominion over all. Um, and then beyond that, every tongue acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this enthronement of Jesus giving God more glory than anything um, at all. And so kind of that is getting right to the heart of Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity in eternity past. Jesus' identity as the Son of God born in the flesh on this earth who gave his life for humanity who then was um, enthroned at the right hand of God again, where he belongs for all eternity, all, all of that talking about who Jesus really is. So yes, crucifixion, resurrection, but we need to also on Easter be celebrating the enthronement of Jesus over all creation, having dominion over everything, because that's what brings God the most glory of all. So that was kind of in a nutshell, um, the message, and certainly we can talk more about too the implications about you know how we treat each other based upon that. But uh, but you know I think we'll get to that later in this conversation. Awesome, awesome. So you talked you uh, talked briefly on Sunday about what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter two. Yeah, as well. I'd love to talk about that a bit. Uh, is this idea the cross, which should have been seen by everyone as this moment of Jesus' defeat, became a moment of great victory. Can yeah. you share a bit more about that in depth? Yeah, I mean, I, I love, um, you know, many scholars have spent time on this passage, particularly it's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's Colossians chapter two, verses you know, 13 through 15, really with 15 being kind of the center of that passage. Um, and, and many translations get, you know, will actually render this somewhat differently. I love the way N.T. Wright actually translates this and he spends uh, some time, and I can't remember which book it is um, talking about this. I, I'd have to I'd have to look that up and find that. But um, but but a number of scholars have talked about the significance of this passage. You know, is it, it's first talking about us. You know, being dead in our sins and transgressions. Right in that moment, God made us made us alive with Christ, forgiving our sins, and then moves here into this legal language in verse fourteen that God canceled. The, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, against us and condemned us, then we get now into the cross language. He says, he has taken it away, which was our, again, our legal indebtedness, and he's nailed that to the cross. Mm -hmm. So basically, what died on the cross is what the Apostle Paul is saying, what really died on the cross is our indebtedness to God. God took That's our great. sins and nailed them to the cross in allowing Jesus to bear on the cross all of our sins. You know, so, so that's the first piece in that. So, um, so that we already see uh, just uh, the briefest allusion to, to victory, to the victory of the cross. But it's really in verse 15 that the Apostle Paul does that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this, this language the NIV says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, um, that language, you know, I, I mean, we could look up a, a number of different translations even as, as we go through this, but uh, that language, there are some that, that would render that, including, I think, N.T. Wright, as having disrobed or um, the language that the Apostle Paul is using there 
is um, it's the language for stripped. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the, the best translation for that is actually stripped. So having stripped them bare, um, and a lot of people believe that the Apostle Paul is intentionally juxtaposing the stripping bare of Jesus on the cross. Mm. You know, interesting. So okay. at minimum, Jesus was stripped down to nothing but probably a loincloth. Although even that mm. idea, we have that in our minds. I think to be more comfortable with things, loincloths were not really things that that people always wore. So maybe Jesus was wearing a loincloth, but oftentimes they just wore an inner garment. Mm. You know, and so it's kind of like you know the the Scottish kilt, but it started at your shoulders instead. And, you know, so they didn't wear underwear like we mm -hmm. wear today. I know that's kind of weird and awkward to think about probably, but, um, you know, you didn't come to the podcast today expecting to have a conversation about, uh, about underwear. Um, we won't take that any further, but, uh, but, but the idea is that Jesus would have even either been stripped down to what would have been the equivalent of uh, a bare covering of underwear or as many criminals um, in those days, were, we know they were stripped down to nothing mm -hmm. and were hung naked on crosses because the whole point of the cross was to be this incredible humiliation. Mm -hmm. It was to completely humiliate you so that even if you survived, and some did, um, some survived crucifixion, um, even if you did, you would be so utterly humiliated by what had happened there um, that, that you would never do again whatever it was that landed you on the cross, in a sense. And so, you know, so th there is this reversal in this moment. The Apostle Paul in, in Colossians 2 and verse 15 is saying, look, in that moment where Jesus seemed to, be, seemed to have been stripped of, of his dignity and his power and whatever else we might imagine he had walking this earth, performing miracles, uh, proclaiming himself as the Son of God and God in the flesh himself. All of that, when the, the powers and authorities of this world believe they stripped him of that in that moment, what actually happened, I mean, the, the Apostle Paul says, verse 15, he says, Jesus turned around and stripped the principalities and the authorities and made an open show of them. Mm -hmm. A spectacle of them is what the Apostle Paul says. So they were trying to make a spectacle of Jesus so that everybody around would be discouraged from following Jesus, from pledging allegiance to Jesus from that day okay. forward. Yeah. In that moment, Jesus made a spectacle of them. Jesus stripped them bare and actually says that in the cross, he triumphed over them. And then we're referring to spiritual powers? Of... Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's all of the above. Like the, okay. the principalities and authorities, I mean... Again, this is where translations get into uh, interpretation to some mm -hmm. degree. I mean, if you, again, if you go in the NIV, you see having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, uh, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, you know, some will actually go, I think, as far as saying, you know, the spiritual powers, the spiritual authorities. Uh, that's the NLT says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Mm -hmm. um, others will make it more temporal and will make it about this earth that it was the, even the Roman authorities that were hanging him to the cross who hung him on the cross well certainly the ultimate enemy Satan was at work in that mm -hmm. um, the devil was at work in that but also um, the Roman authorities and even the Jewish authorities were at work in that and so you know I think 
I think in the end it's left open to interpretation to some degree, but I would say it's actually a matter of both, that Jesus was disarming, disrobing, um, stripping bare, making a spectacle of all of those authorities who thought they had power over them. And, you know, think about, you know, Pilate, um, the conversation he has with Jesus, Jesus at one point in time says to him, look, you'd have no authority over me, you, Pilate, who think you have authority over me in this moment to make a decision about my future. You'd have no authority over me if it wasn't granted to you by my Father. So even in that moment, you know, I think, I think the Apostle Paul is probably thinking about all of those mm-hmm. um, okay. powers and authorities. And, and, and to take that further, I mean, you know, maybe to move with the Colossians 2 language as, as a starting point, um, to think a little bit further in that, I mean, think about the cross. You know, the cross had been a symbol of shame, of absolute cruel torture, um, very intentionally brutality connected to power, the Roman power, mm-hmm. the Roman authorities. You know, the cross was the, the measure, the tool they used to quell rebellion in the outposts of the Roman Empire. I mean, that, that was what the cross was for. Mm-hmm. That was what flogging and beating and all of this use of brutality and torture and everything else, shame, the shaming people, that was what it existed for. So the cross was probably the ultimate symbol of those things until Jesus. Hmm. And then you think about what the cross became after that, a symbol of hope, a symbol of love, a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of the power of God, where before it had been a symbol of the power of Rome. So all of that flipped on its head. And it's so hard for us to even imagine the weight of that because mm. all my life I've only known the cross as the symbol of love, yeah. as the symbol of hope, as a symbol of forgiveness. Uh, but just to for the original yeah. followers, like that's not what they knew the cross as. I mean, I think of it in our terms, like if it was a, if it was a lethal injection, if right. it was an electric, an electric chair, chair, if it was a like the things that we use for. Yes. Um, for capital punishment now of like if one of those items was turned yes and like now this is going to represent and that is just it's it's hard to imagine i'm gonna wear that lethal injection around my neck as a necklace we we would all think you were a sicko yeah yeah. i mean seriously like i mean anybody that walked around wearing an uh, you know an electric chair around their neck or uh you know a noose or You know, or lethal injection needle or something. We think those people were crazy. They were sick. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, I mean, early first century Christians were thought of by yeah. the Roman Empire as sickos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really were, you know, even yeah. for celebrating communion, eating mm-hmm. the body and drinking the blood of Jesus in, in a symbolic fashion. Uh, they were <laughs> they were accused of being cannibals. Yeah. And again, the fact that they, um, and it wasn't so much in the first century because the cross continued I mean, if we're being very honest and full of integrity about this, the cross continued to be a symbol of shame probably through the first century. It was after that that the cross really became known as a symbol of hope and forgiveness, uh, of love, of God's power. Um, Although the Apostle Paul is trying to move things Mm -hmm. that way in Colossians 2 and even Philippians 2, saying Jesus became, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But it was out of that that now God enthroned him as Lord over everything forevermore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, there's this incredible reversal that is seen both at work in Philippians 2, you know, Jesus, God, becoming human, then becoming God again through the cross instead of 
you know, <laughs> instead of like the downward trajectory, continuing on that downward traje mm -hmm, trajectory, mm -hmm. well, Jesus, who was in the very nature of God, or is in the very nature of God, became God, 100% God, 100% human. And then, you know, through dying on the cross, well, we just continued in this downward trajectory. No, it actually lifted him, if possible, higher than he was before. Um, although, again, so much of that in our minds we can't really fathom and understand. And the language of the Apostle Paul is meant to be, I think, extreme because what, what happened was extreme, yeah. unbelievable, yeah. unfathomable. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think all of that uh, definitely there. Awesome. So towards the end of the message, you made this statement, said that if we really understand who Jesus is and what he was willing to do for us, that there is mm. nothing that we won't be able to do for each other. Yeah. Help us, help us understand that a little bit. Unpack that yes. statement for us. Like, how does Jesus' identity affect the way that we treat other people? Yeah, so, so during the message, I, I asked uh, you know, all the folks here on Easter Sunday to, to be thinking about two questions as we were reading the passage from Philippians 2. The first one is, what do we learn about the identity of Jesus? So what do we learn about who Jesus is from Philippians 2? We've already unpacked that to some degree. And the second one, which I said, okay, we'll return to all the way at the end of this message, but I want you to keep it in the back of your mind, is what do we learn about how we should treat each other? Because again, the Apostle Paul begins this passage saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, right? And we know the rest of it at this point. Um, saying, I want you to be thinking about the identity of Jesus, but, but when we understand the identity of Jesus, it moves us to treat each other in a certain way. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So he wants us to be wrestling with these two questions. Who is Jesus and how should we treat each other? Because of his identity, as we are disciples, we talk about you know, what it means to be a disciple here often. I mean, we want to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. We want the image of God reformed, restored in us, as you know, Romans 8 says. I mean, that's, that's the goal that God has for us. You know, Romans 8, 28, talking about the good that God is working towards. Romans 8, 29, talking about what it actually is, or that God is working for our good. Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, 29, what that good actually is. And it's to have the image of Christ restored in us, which was broken at the fall. But now Jesus is working on putting back together. And we, through our partnership with the Holy Spirit, who's living in us, put to death the deeds of the body and say no to the things that we have been saying yes to and, and yes to things that we've been saying no to. So we're saying no to the things of the flesh, yes to the things of the Spirit, because God's Spirit is at work in us. And so, um, yes, if we really understand who Jesus is um, and what He was willing to do for us, so if we understand His identity, it moves us to being a whole new kind of people. Which is why the New Testament, I mean, it will make no sense to us at all to read all of this new creation language and this new life language, entirely new life language, if we don't understand the power of God at work in us and the power of Jesus at work in us to transform us so that we can become like Him. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it will make no sense to us, but we do start to see there's an entirely new life that we're called to when we see that the resurrection power is at work in us. Rob talked about that just a, you know, a couple months ago, mm -hmm. that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. To what ends? Well, to help us become entirely new people, to help us, again, be reformed in the image of God. And so um, your question, how does Jesus' identity affect how we treat other people? Think about what Paul says Jesus did. So Jesus, very nature God, 
was willing to, it's hard to say, was he willing to let that go? At least he was willing to take on something entirely different yeah. at the same time, is what we ought to say, you know, which I do, I do think is right. You know, Jesus 100% human, 100% mm-hmm. God as he walked the earth. But he was willing to live in that incredible tension because there's such a, ga- a gap between being God and human, yeah. right? You know, our flesh has all these struggles that come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about that more in this upcoming series, you know. Um, you know, so just alluding to that a little bit, and maybe we can talk about that just yes, a touch yes. as we close here today. But um, Jesus left all that behind. Okay, maybe again, not the best way to say it. Jesus took on something entirely different in addition to his godly nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did leave behind, even if he didn't leave behind the nature, he left behind the status. You know, mm-hmm. he came to earth, became one of us, actually humbled himself, in a sense becoming lower than us, because he became a servant to all. Like, he didn't just wash everybody's feet, he took everybody's sins upon himself. You know, that washing of the feet was, in a sense, symbolic to say, I will humble myself to whatever level I have to for the sake of all of you. And he showed, I mean, the proof was in that moment he took on all our sins on the cross. You know, and so Paul is saying what we see Jesus do, what we saw him do, is what we ought to then in turn, in turn do for others. You know, there should be nothing that we wouldn't do for others because Jesus... There was nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for us in that sense. So he says, you ought to have the same mindset, the same attitude, your heart, the position of, position of your heart in relation to others and to, to each other ought to be the same as Jesus' mindset was toward us, toward all of humanity. And it's, again, we, we referenced this, I think, just a couple of weeks ago um, as we were closing out that series, 1 John 3.16, where John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other, for others as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we're talking about a true laying down of our lives for the sake of others. You know, Paul says you ought to think more about others than you think about yourself. I mean, there's so many passages that point to this in Scripture, but in this one specifically, Paul is referencing the identity of Jesus, what Jesus was willing to lay down pick up on our behalf and saying you should have that same mind frame and that same attitude with each other. So really that was kind of the, the, the challenge out of this message and maybe skipping ahead a little bit um, into, into practice. Yeah. Um, but that was really the challenge is, mm-hmm. is to think about That's good. who Jesus was and that we're called to treat others like he, he treated us to do the same kind of things, to have that mm-hmm. lay down my life for you kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. So, good. yeah, I mean, again, two big questions at work in this passage. What do we learn about the identity of Jesus? And what do we learn about how we should treat others, especially others within the church, but others outside of the church family as well, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. That's good. So how can we practice yeah. this to be more faithful to Jesus? Yeah, so... You know, again, I, I think I want to slice this two ways. Again, the Apostle Paul, I, in maintaining integrity with this passage, I do want to say 
the Apostle Paul is writing this to a group of Christians. So he, when he says you ought to have the same mindset concerning each other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the language he uses. You ought to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, as you think about your relationships with one another, with each other. This is a one another within the church passage first, for sure. Um, and so I, I, want, I want us to think about, you know, what opportunities do we have to lay down our lives for the good of others within the church? Mm-hmm. What, what opportunities do we have at times to be truly sacrificial? And, and you have to be in relationships. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul says, in your relationships with one another. You know, the reality of the struggle of a large church environment is that it is difficult to have relationships with people or that it is sometimes easy to walk in and walk out and, and have no relationship with anybody, no genuine relationship with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that's not true for a whole lot of people and probably not true for the people listening to this podcast, but, but first to understand that the church is supposed to be a place where deep relationships are formed. And it's out of those, the establishment of those deep relationships that we learn about the needs of others and learn how we can self-sacrificially lay ourselves down for the sake of others, mm-hmm. for another. So I think the first challenge is maybe to ask yourself a question this week. How can I take my relationship with someone in this church family? Or if you're not connected with Grace Chapel, and I know many who listen aren't, um, if you're not connected with Grace Chapel, how can you take a relationship with someone in your church community to the next level? Yeah. To see it be deepened for the sake of having opportunities to treat others like Jesus treats us. And then outside of the church family, I think the challenge is the same too. What opportunities is God placing in your path right now in this moment? Because He is. He always is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we pray Colossians 3, 4 through 6. You know That God would be the one who creates opportunities and open doors. That we would make the most of them. So... Um, I think in this, I would say, what, what opportunities to build relationships with others outside the church is God putting in your path right now in this very moment that you need to lean into because it will be through those relationships that you have opportunity to really embrace the mindset, the attitude, the heart posture of Jesus, and then self-sacrificially lay yourself down for them the way he he did on our behalf as well. So it starts with the willingness to build those deep relational bonds. And then it moves out of that to responding to the opportunities that come. And so again, I, I, I want to begin just at step one, asking the question, what opportunity is God, move, is God placing in front of you, either within the church or outside of the church, to take a relationship to the next level with somebody so that it would be deepened, so that you would know when those moments and opportunities arise to serve them and love them like Jesus became a servant for us on our behalf. So that would, that would be the, the practice I would encourage people to. Love it. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely. That's really good. Awesome. So as we close, we close these two weeks, and we are getting ready next week. Turn the corner. We're going to dive into a new message series. Right. Yeah. Let's, uh, we'll give you a little heads up about yeah. this one. We've alluded to it a couple times in our yes. last couple of conversations. It's going to be a series called By Design. Yes. Creation, Fall, and a Call to Live Faithfully in Spite of Our Brokenness. Yeah. Paul, you want to give a little preview of what we'll be talking about? Yeah. Well, I, you know, you would have to be living under a rock to not be aware of the fact that as it relates to the conversation about gender, sex, and sexuality, things have rapidly changed in the last just 
two decades, three decades. You know, we've talked about that, debriefed that in an article that I wrote for Renew mm -hmm. um, a while back. Um, things are really changing quickly. And when things change quickly, it leaves people confused, right? I mean, we're responding to all these stimuli, all this change around us. Um, you know, the great thing is if we're looking for a solid foundation, and I believe many people are, the Word of God has not changed. Mm -hmm. Culture around us is rapidly sh shifting and changing, but the Word of God remains the same. And so, you know, what we're going to try to do is say, okay, if we just used the words of Scripture, the inspired words of Scripture, as our foundation for how we think about gender, sex, and sexuality, what would that lead us to? And I think it would lead us to understanding here's God's good plan, but it would also give us a very good understanding of here's, what, here's the, the reality of, of our brokenness, and then we can see how brokenness and maybe increasing levels of brokenness at times lead us to walk away from that plan. So in week one, we'll really be talking about what is God's good design? Uh, in week two, we hope to actually share a conversation that will take place on stage between myself, Rocky, and uh, a guy here who, uh, who's a member of our church named Corey Carlisle. Mm -hmm. And I think we can record that and share it. that as a podcast. It's, I think it's going to be a very helpful conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe you and I will debrief that some a little bit, too, as mm -hmm. part of that podcast, you know, an intro and an outro. Um, and then week, week three, we're really going to talk about living faithfully in spite of the fact that we are broken, fallen creatures. All of this brokenness should yep. not surprise us because it's who we are. I mean, it is, it is at the, the, the heart of our nature as fallen creatures mm -hmm. to move deeper and deeper into brokenness, but it's at the heart of God's nature to try to restore us to wholeness again. And so what yep. does it look like to live faithfully in spite of brokenness so that wholeness would be the outcome instead of brokenness? So that's awesome. what we'll be looking uh, forward to. It, it's going to be, so. we're going to dig into things that, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's going to be disagreement, objection, maybe even some people that uh, that don't like us after we say what we say. But you know, we want to be people who stand as much as we can on the unchanging foundation that that God has laid for us in His design. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul, and thank you all for tuning in again this week. We hope you do join us for these next three weeks. It should be yes. some really good conversation, yep. and we're looking forward to diving in. Agreed. So. Until next time, we will uh, we'll see y'all next week, and look forward to you tuning in again. Yeah, God bless you.